0: North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades.
1: The president of South Korea, Moon Jae-in, is coming to the White House to meet with President Trump and you. Will you agree to some easing of economic sanctions to continue the momentum on these talks with the North Koreans?
0: President Trump has been unambiguous. Our administration's policy is incredibly clear. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority.
1: Will there be a third summit with North Korea?
0: I'm confident there will be. We came out of Hanoi with a deeper understanding of each other, the positions that the two sides had, the two leaders were able to make. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. In this episode of The Impossible State, we recorded live from the hilltop of Georgetown University. Joining me was CSIS's Victor Chai, as Always and Sumi Terry, along with Kelly Maximin. Kelly's the Vice President for National Security and International Policy at the Center for American Progress. Previously, she served as Assistant Secretary of Defense for Asian and Pacific Security Affairs during the Obama administration. Along with the students at Georgetown, we discussed the upcoming summit between South Korean President Moon and President Trump and the prospects of a third Trump-Kim summit. There's nowhere I'd rather be today. I want to thank Dr. Victor Cha uh, for hosting us here at Georgetown University. Um, It's always great to come over to the hilltop um, and see all of your terrific students and see what's going on on campus. Uh, It's a little quieter on campus today. I don't know, I think everybody was watching the national championship game last night, right, and seeing UVA win, so that was pretty cool. But it's a little south of here. We need to bring the national championship in basketball up to DC, and I know that's gonna happen, sometime soon while you guys are in school here. Um, One of the things uh, about Kelly that's really cool is she is now at American Progress, and she works over there with my uh, good friend Whitney, um, and that's very cool. And Sue is, like, commuting back and forth between New York and D.C. all the time, dropping Wisdom in D.C., (laughs) dropping Wisdom in New York, so that she's in the two best places to be. We're on the eve of something pretty interesting happening here in Washington. It was interesting how Victor... Um, you know, is talking. You know, you, we're always talking about oh, you know, Sue just you know did Korea stuff at the CIA, and Kelly worked on you know East Asia at DOD. I mean, that's going to be you guys in a couple of years. You know, somebody's going to be talking about you that way, that you know you just happened to work on Asia policy at CIA. It's like just flip it out that casually. I mean, Victor just happened to work on Korea at uh, at the White House. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, we, we use this stuff casually here in Washington, but when you're committed to public service the way the three of my colleagues are here, it really, they could be doing anything in the world. These are the kind of people who could be doing anything in the world, and you are the kind of people who could be doing anything in the world. So, you know, you have a great example sitting right here, right in front of you. Um, we're on the eve of President Moon, uh, Moon's visit to Washington uh, tomorrow and Friday to talk about to President Trump that there should be some, he's gonna try to convince Trump that there should be some easing of sanctions of North Korea. Um, what do you think's gonna happen, Sue?
2: Well, I think President Moon has to do this very, very carefully. Um, even though South Koreans absolutely want easing of sanctions because in the Hanoi summit, this is why the whole thing fell apart, right? Because North Koreans are asking for sanctions relief, and we were not ready to give it to the degree that the North Koreans wanted it. We were ready to give peace declaration, we were ready to open a liaison office, but that's not ultimately what North Koreans wanted. Um, So this is a sticking point. And the South Koreans, I think, really do want sanctions relief for the North Koreans, because they are very committed to moving this dialogue forward. However, um, they have to be careful not to push President Trump too far in this because this is not where the White House is at. This is not obviously where the Trump administration is at right now. So I think President Moon has has to do this very delicately, you know, in a balanced way. At least the South Koreans are saying now they are here to listen to President Trump, what he has to say, to see what his frame of mind is. South Koreans used to just meet with the North Koreans and then come to Washington, but they kept looking like their were spokesmen or defending North Korea or being a spokesman uh, for North Korea. So now they're trying to do it a little bit differently. They didn't rush uh, after Hanoi summit to meet with Kim again. President Moon didn't do that. Uh, they didn't send a, uh, an envoy to North Korea. Uh, they are coming here first. So let's see what happens on Thursday. They're having a working lunch. Um, but again, I think this is a very difficult spot that South Koreans are in. They know it, and they know this is a very critical meeting.
0: Kelly, what do you think?
1: I agree with Sue, although I I have to say I think President Trump and his administration may not entirely be on the same page uh, when it comes to sanctions and sanctions relief. I think... Uh, was it two weeks ago when Treasury Department made an announcement on additional sanctions and the president came out and said, no, we're not doing that And then there was a big you know effort by the White House to create a story cover story for how that happened. I think President Trump wants to see progress on this issue, continued forward progress. I think it's a winning issue for him. I think with the American voter, you know as long as they see dialogue happening, they're pretty satisfied with what's going on in North Korea. so I think he kinda of understands that political dynamic um, where maybe John Bolton and others in the administration may have a much tougher view. So, you know, as I, I agree with Sue that the, the South Koreans have to be careful as they approach uh, the administration at this stage, but I also think there is some disagreements within the administration that may actually down to the benefit of President Moon.
0: You bring up most Americans who consume news in a you know fairly casual way, the only foreign policy story they see on television is North Korea. So that's the only thing they really see the Trump administration engaged in. And you're saying that within the Trump administration, his team isn't exactly agreeing on the way forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's a division that the North Koreans can exploit, obviously, very easily as we proceed. The Chinese can exploit. So I think the division is not necessarily a positive thing, but I think there is some disconnect between the president and his team on the the direction of the diplomacy. Um, I think that the president is going to want to see continued dialogue between South Korea and the North. I think he's going to want to support inter-Korean efforts. And so where the rubber meets the road is how that happens with sanctions relief or, or other opportunities
0: Victor where are you on this
3: to me this is like um, so we're now entering the spring right um, my son is in high school it's prom season yeah right? and so like my son is the South Korean leader and uh, I'm Trump and he's bringing his girlfriend um, who is Kim Jong-un um, oh man okay You know, bringing his girlfriend home to meet you know his I'm parents, assuming his right? girlfriend has a better haircut than yeah, Kim. yeah yeah okay and so you know the issue is is that you want this meeting to go well, right? Between your significant other and your parent, yeah. you really want it to go well, and that was what Hanoi was. You know, in Hanoi, you know, the South Korean president was sitting there waiting for this meeting to go really well. You know, they'd make an agreement, and then he could move forward with all of his plans. Um, right. And you know, it, the meeting didn't go well. Right. They didn't reach agreement. So now. You know, Moon is coming, you know, it's like my son coming to me, Moon is coming to the United States to try to talk to Trump to see if he can salvage something out of what was essentially a failed summit. I mean, they spoke about it very positively when they left Hanoi, right? They said, you know, the dialogue's going on, we learned about each other's positions, but all of us have been involved in planning summits. When it ends the way it does in Hanoi, that is a failure. That is a huge failure. You don't have a summit meeting to fail, right? You just don't. Um, And so he's really trying to pick up the diplomatic pieces here, see if there's a way forward. And he has a lot vested in this, not just in terms of the U.S.-North Korea relationship, but in terms of his own domestic situation, because this may be the only diplomacy for the United States right now, and I think that's right. Um, But it's really the only diplomacy for South Korea, too. Um, and so he really can't afford to have this fail, but he doesn't have complete control over it because he's trying to bring these two, right? These two people, uh, these two countries together.
2: I think it's it's absolutely true. The problem is that President Moon has it's a hundred percent all in on North Korea policy. That's his entire uh, what what they've been doing. He's all and, in. Yeah, he's all in on this. And this month, I think it's the anniversary of the Panmunjom Declaration. So you have nothing to show for it after a year of after the Panmunjom Declaration. And I think next month uh, is the two, second year anniversary of the Moon inauguration. So he's been in, in office for two years, um, and there's also again nothing to show for. It. So if this goes south i absolutely agree with victor in this um it's not good Uh, so this this has a domestic implication for south koreans so
3: So just for context the government in south korea is a progressive government it's sort of a left-of-center government when we say progressive in south korean politics we don't mean um, pro-choice pro-gay marriage we mean pro-engagement with north korea right that's what we mean and so this guy came into office almost two years ago and has been fully devoted both ideologically and in every other way to improving relations uh, with with North Korea and made substantial progress, you remember during the Winter Olympics, all of you remember that. Um, but now it all looks like it's starting to, all the threads are coming apart, it's starting to fall apart. And so this is his last shot, really, because if you think about it in terms of the calendar after this, you know, we're already into campaign season, right? And I don't know, I, it's hard for me to imagine that President Trump's gonna risk a third summit that could, again, fail. Um, and for the South Korean leader, um, he doesn't have an election next year, but he the, the legislature has an election next year. Um, and it's a very important election because that will be seen as a referendum on the South Korean president's tenure in office. And in South Korea, you only have one five-year term, right? So usually that midterm election, if you do not do well in that midterm election, Um, you're basically a lame duck for the rest of your time in office and you leave office with the lowest popularity ratings. Ever, like every South Korean president has gone through
2: And just this. a little bit further context in terms of South Korea's foreign policy, there is a criticism that there's not much happening with China. He has not been doing much about anything else. Japan-Korea relations is at the lowest uh, point right now because that's a whole separate topic. Um, and domestically, economically, there is a, a lot of issues, right, that the South Koreans are complaining about. It's uh, unemployment, there's all, all these issues that he has not really taken care of. So, again, it's, he's 100% already in North Korea and he has to make progress.
1: I mean, I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic about, (laughs) I know it's shocking, North (laughs) Korea optimism, usually not in the same sentence. Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic about the moon Trump meeting this week, because I actually think Trump is incentivized to not go back to fire and fury. I think he feels this diplomacy is working for him politically. And so I think both sides are actually um, incentivized to keep some sort of dialogue open. I think that's going to be like basically the bar. I think uh, Moon Jae-in is going to come to Washington as long as he gets President Trump to come out and say, I continue to support diplomacy and inter-Korean dialogue, then I think that's a win for Moon Jae-in.
2: The timing is curious. What's going to be interesting is on Thursday, when when President Trump is meeting with President Moon, uh, North Korea, Kim Jong-un is about, he's having a Supreme People's Assembly. He has a meeting where he'll be speaking on Thursday. So it's that's kind of a interesting timing, right? Because you, you don't want North Korean leader to not come out and say something that's not going to be uh, good for this uh, particular meeting with President Moon and President Trump. Which so, is why
1: it's really important for both Moon and Trump to get on the same page as it relates to all of the stress tests that are gonna come their way from the North Koreans and the Chinese over the next, you know, 12 months.
0: Okay, so I have a prom story too, because <laughs> my, my son is like, Victor's son is also a senior. In fact, our sons used to play baseball against each other when they were in Little League. And my son, his not his girlfriend, but like a, a best friend who's a girl, asked him uh, <laughs> if I can, uh, I, it's hard to explain these things these days, I don't know. You know, and she's like one of the most impressive people in his class, she's going off to Duke next year, she's very assertive, she says, you know, you're going to take me to prom, and, and he says, and he looks at her and he says, try to play it cool, and he says, I got you. <laughs> so, so, isn't that what Trump is going to say to Moon when Moon comes here this week? Yeah,
3: I mean, I think there is is some.
1: (laughs) I've lost the metaphor at this stage.
3: I think that's possible. So I agree with Kelly in the sense that they're not going to want to leave this summit meeting and be uh, like um, and be on different pages. I think they will say they're going to support diplomacy, you know, but that'll be the public um, framing privately. Moon's going to push for sanctions relief. He's going to want at least to allow for the U.S. to allow South Korea to engage a little bit more economically with North Korea or at least try to get Trump to say he's willing to lift some sanctions. They won't go public with that. So I think, yeah, I think Trump is kind of like, I gotcha, you know, that this needs to go well. um, uh, But the difficult conversation will not be viewed by the public. And there's a real gap there. I mean, there really is a gap there.
2: But then after I got you... Uh, what are they getting from North Koreans? I mean, that's sort of the key, isn't it? I mean, what then President Moon has to go and, and either send an envoy to North Korea or meet with Kim Jong-un at TMZ or, and get something out of North Koreans. It can't be just sanctions relief for what? That's the question.
0: So, Okay, so if you're advising President Trump ahead of his meeting this week with President Moon, what, what would you advise him to do?
2: If I'm advising President Trump?
0: Yeah. What would you tell him to do?
2: I mean, first of all, would really he listen to me? I mean, he doesn't even really quite listen to his uh, advisors. Well, yeah, my, you know, he but, definitely but my, would
0: listen to you, no, for sure. but
2: uh, <laughs> my <laughs> main issue uh, with President Trump is I wish that he could at least stay on message and be disciplined within his own administration so we don't have mixed messages coming out of the administration. This is what Kelly was talking about. Um, Whatever the message is, are we gonna do more sanctions? Are we gonna do secondary sanctions? Then coordinate that and announce it together and stick with that. Or are we not? Then don't announce it. That whole mixed messaging that came out when the Treasury Department said, okay, we're going to do sanctions. And then President Trump tweeted, oh, actually, never mind. I said don't do it, but we don't know which sanctions he's talking about. This is, I think, problem number one. Um, I, you know, beyond whether he, at this point, we should, you know, do some relaxation of sanctions, whether we should go for an interim deal, uh, a good enough deal. Um, Beyond that, I think first step is, can we please have a coordinated policy, disciplined messaging coming out of the White House? Because it's very difficult um, for, uh, not only for all of us, but I think for North Koreans, as Kim Jong-un is recalibrating and reassessing and seeing what happened at Hanoi. It's very difficult for, for North Koreans to understand what the heck is going on in the White House.
3: And I think the president will say, Thank you, Sue, but I'm just going to do what I want, right. right? exactly. I mean, but I think so. And may, maybe make it up as I go
2: along.
0: Make
3: it make it up as I go along. I mean, I think, you know, the, the first thing is, you know, um, so coordinated message coming out of the summit meeting on, on Thursday, right? That's the first thing you need supportive of diplomacy, continued diplomacy, but maintaining the principle that, you know, we want all the nuclear weapons off the Korean Peninsula. You know, um, we don't want a long-range ballistic missile threat to the United States. We don't want short-range missile threats to our allies in the region. You know, stick to those principles. But then operationally figure out how are you going to take the first step to do that in a way that is meaningful and is not simply a repeat of what has been done in three of the past agreements, right? And all of us have been involved in these agreements. And so when we saw what was on offer in Hanoi, we're like, we've seen that before. I mean, we've seen it three times before. And so I think one of the things that experts talk about is uh, that would be important would be not just simply freezing the operation of their facilities but actually trying to get them to agree to um, no longer produce fissile material um, that could be used for making uh, nuclear weapons. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's you can get that in principle as a commitment from the North, or you can try to get it as a verifiable um, commitment by the North. But many experts that I talk to say that that's like a really important first step that would be very different from what has been done in past agreements. Uh, Yeah, go ahead, Kelly.
1: I agree that number one, alliance unity, that messaging has to be clear um, this week. Um, But I also think that President Trump needs to send Moon Jae-in home to Seoul with some sort of indication that he is open to a step-by-step approach or some sort of interim framework deal rather than this sort of grand bargain that I think the administration, those sort of maximalist positions. Because I think that is what Moon Jae-in will be able to then sell essentially to the North Koreans and potentially get steps. I do think that has to be signaled to him while he's here this week.
2: I just thought in Hanoi, there was supposed to be some sort of an interim deal. Uh, we just don't know exactly why North Koreans came to Hanoi with this no option B um, and coming in with like, you guys need to. To really essentially give all sanctions relief for this one nuclear facility. Um, so I think it, we can sort of, I think there's still space to go back to what was supposed to be, uh, what was supposed to happen in Hanoi. Because there was, some, there was supposed to be an interim deal. I think this, I, not all of us were wrong on that um, because there was talk about that. So I do think there was that possibility. Of going back to some sort of interim deal.
1: I do think there's people have talked about the Reykjavik summit which is a famous summit between Gorbachev and President Reagan that failed miserably but it was a clarifying summit in that it showed exactly what the two sides were going after and the clarification of what the intent and the red lines were and then that produced forward momentum on diplomacy so I think that Hanoi while a failure could also potentially be very enlightening to all sides about what our bottom lines are with respect to moving forward.
0: I've just been really excited because I have a good question here from um, one of the students. This is comes from Gray, who's a junior in the college, and he asks, how does Kim Jong-un feel about Moon acting as a representative for North Korea, given that the relations aren't exactly perfect or even good between the two
3: countries? It's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. It is interesting that you know what has been, what, almost two years of diplomacy, you've had a lot of statements by the U.S. president and by the South Korean president essentially explaining the North Korean position or trying to represent the North Korean position because the North Korean leader is famously reclusive, uh, doesn't do, you know, a lot of press briefings, doesn't tweet, right? Any of these sorts of things. And so I think from the North Korean perspective, they see utility in a South Korean president that is interested in engagement with North Korea. And that is always essentially trying to put the best face on North Korean intentions, even if those may not be North Korean intentions for real, putting the best face on those intentions. Um, it's interesting that recently, at least in the past week, the North Koreans are signaling that they're upset with the South Koreans because they haven't been moving forward. Inter-Korean Railroad Project with the uh, Kaesong Industrial Complex, a Joint Industrial Complex. So they've expressed in official news um, releases I mean, some, some dissatisfaction with with the South Koreans, which is dissatisfaction with the South Koreans, but it's essentially saying to the South Koreans, you have to do better, right? You have to do better for us in getting the Americans to come to the table.
0: Okay. Well, there's, I have a good follow-up to this. This is comes from Gustav, who's a junior in the college who asks how much room does South Korea and moon have to unilateral to have to act unilaterally with North Korea? How much room do they have?
2: I think, I think, that always is a concern. Um, I've been concerned about that, to be frank. But recently, having talked to the, the Koreans, I think they're not going to go there um, anytime soon. Uh, they understand that uh, it's, it's going to be a problem because the South Korea-U.S. alliance. Um, there's also other issues, like there's a burden-sharing issue, for example. Um, that. Burden-sharing issue, which was just concluded, it's only a one-year deal, so they have to now renegotiate the whole thing. Um, They cannot, at this point, completely alienate Trump administration, and they know if they go unilaterally without getting Washington on board, that's going to be a problem. For overall, there's other issues like burden-sharing, and in terms of overall alliance, yeah, issue. So I think South Koreans, again, will be very careful about this. Although North Koreans, of course, will continue to pressure South Koreans. They love to put up that wedge between the alliance. Um, that's what they love to do. Uh, but I think South Koreans
1: are trying to just do this balancing act. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I also think we have some pretty talented alliance managers on the ground uh, in Seoul with General Abrams and Ambassador uh, Harry Harris, who are probably encouraging their South Korean counterparts to move, you know, carefully along these lines. So I, I think I agree with. So I think they're not incentivized to really create any more trouble. That they have their hands full right now, frankly, getting the two sides back on the same page, much less creating an additional friction in the relationship.
2: If they cannot make any progress with North Korea in terms of denuclearization and then they blow up the us Rock alliance, then they really have nothing left. Uh, and that's not going to be good for the Moon administration. Yeah,
3: because if you put aside the U.S., I mean, you look, South Korea's relations with Japan, as we talked about this semester, are not very good right now, You know, given the history issues. Their relationship with China is not very good right now because of the whole THAAD issue, the missile defense system that was put in South Korea that got the Chinese very angry. And then, you know, Russia is Russia, right? So There's not really a lot of options at this particular moment. And if they were to uh, create a split in the alliance, then they would really be kind of isolated. This is an interesting question from Varsha, who's a sophomore. Um, Varsha always asks
0: interesting questions. Um, How will South Korea's relationship with China impact its negotiations with North Korea?
3: It's a good question. I would say first that of all, and I don't know how Kelly feels about this, or Sue, I feel of all US allies in Asia when it comes to relations with China, South Korea probably has one of the most complex and nuanced relationships. For other countries, it's fairly clear, which is they want to make money off of China, but when they think about political values, strategic leadership, stability in the region, they put their eggs in the US basket. Um, for the most part. And South Korea, I think, generally adheres to that view, but they have this one variable that no other country has, and that's North Korea and unification, where they feel like they need to um, gain China's long-term strategic understanding if they're ever going to effectuate unification of the Korean Peninsula. And so that variable always complicates you know, how much South Korea should take China's side on AII, anything from AIIB to South China Sea, bu- you know, island building, right? Uh, they're, they're much more, they tend to be much more reticent on some of the strategic issues, um, compared to other, other U.S. allies. So how does it affect the relationship with, um, with North Korea? I think in many cases, South Korea tries to look to China to help with North Korea in terms of moderating their behavior and trying to get them to the negotiating table. But I think increasingly for this administration in South Korea, this progressive government, they really see it as something that they have to do on their own. Uh, they can't rely on China. Conservative governments in the past in South Korea have relied on China to try to help, help move this forward. But uh, when, um, when China actually showed up not helping on a number of issues. I think this progressive government realizes they really need to do this on their own.
2: Just add to what Victor was saying about China and unification. Uh, former South Korean president, um, Park geun and, uh, and others too, I think South Koreans were trying to really get China to understand this, um, that China's strategic interest on the, uh, vis-a-vis the Korean Peninsula, they need to reevaluate uh, this whole situation, right? Because China and South Korea are close. This is the part of this complex relationship, right? South Korea's trade with China, their trade volume is double that of South Korea, United States, South Korea, Japan combined. So South Korea is trying to say, is it going to be so bad if there's a unification, it's basically a larger South Korea when China is already South Korea's largest trading partner. And North Korea, particularly if they're acting like a prior state with all these missile tests and nuclear tests and causing instability in the region. So again, it's just kind of a very complex relationship um, that China uh, has with the Korean Peninsula, with South Korea, with North Korea. And if you remember until just very recently, until just past year, even China's relationship with North Korea has been evolving, right? President Xi Jinping has not met with Kim Jong-un for first what six years uh and then all of a sudden now they met three times or four times right um but that's only because also president trump decided to meet with kim jong so that relationship i think it's something to delve deeper into china's relationship with both koreas
1: i do think you know a lesson from the the thad experience you know the chinese indicated that they were going to put as much pressure as they wanted to on the south koreans to try to you know basically upend the THAAD uh deployment well, tell us what that is Uh, It's theater, high-altitude, air defense. Missiles. It's basically a missile defense system that we put on the peninsula. So... The Chinese, you know, I think overplayed their hand in that situation and I think it backfired um, in Seoul. Uh, So I think the Chinese also feel very boxed out right now um, but with the U.S., North Korea and Seoul diplomacy going on. And so it's going to be interesting to see Xi Jinping, I believe, is supposed to go to North Korea I think next month, I want to say, is what is out there. So it'll be interesting to see how the Chinese now reinsert themselves into the dialogue, especially as the United States starts to look at things like sanctions enforcement, which is going to largely target. Uh, Chinese firms. So I, I think watch Beijing because I think they're going to make some moves probably in the next couple months.
0: So Mackey, who's a sophomore in the college, asks a question along these lines and brings up something that Victor uh, mentioned a couple minutes ago. Mackey says Trump has already canceled joint U.S. South Korea military exercises, but he also walked away from the Hanoi summit empty handed. Trump seems inconsistent with adhering to one single plan. How might this give China the opportunity to step in? And can this play on the argument that South Korea is gradually bandwagoning with China?
3: Well, on the first part of the question, if if you sense inconsistency by the president, I have no idea why you think that. (laughs) I just don't. I don't know where that comes from. Um, No, no idea. No, I mean, but I'm half serious because there is uh, so there is consistency in what he did after Hanoi if you think like him. Right. So he did not get an agreement at Hanoi. At the same time, he still claims his policy is a success because North Korea has not tested a missile in 16 months, right?
0: And they're still talking.
3: And they're still talking. So if you leave Hanoi and you want to ensure that you can still claim your policy is a success, you are going to do things like continue to suspend the military exercises that were scheduled to start shortly after that summit meeting between the US and South Korea, the annual big military maneuver exercises. And you will then pull back the sanctions that the Treasury Department announced, uh, the secondary sanctions designations that the Treasury Department announced, not as a unilateral cave, but because you want to continue to signal to North Korea that you're interested in diplomacy so that they will not test, because if they test as you're entering an election year, you cannot claim your policy as a success anymore so there is logic to what he was doing so we can have a discussion about this but i feel like china clearly has interest in what happens in on the korean peninsula and what happens in this negotiation Um, but they their interests and their actions are bounded and they're bounded in the sense that uh, where you will see the chinese most active the chinese government most active is when they think things are going off the rails when in 2017, North Korea is like testing missiles like crazy, right? 20 ballistic missile tests in 2017. Just forgive you by way of comparison. During the eight years of the Obama administration, you know, when Kelly was there, they did an average, an average of six missile tests a year, right? They did 20 in the first 12 months of the Trump administration and a hydrogen bomb test, right? And so, Things looked like they were real, and Trump was talking about, you know, war. It really looked like things were going off the rails, and that's when China acted. It put really put the economic squeeze on North Korea to get them to stop testing and come back to the negotiating table. Once they have the North Koreans back at the negotiating table, then the Chinese hand it over to the United States, and they go, "Okay, you go negotiate this. Um, uh, you cannot use pressure." Uh, and, um, and we're going to back channel aid to the North Koreans and not tell you about it, but good luck, right? Um, and so they're not, once they get them back to the table, then they're going to hand it off to the United States. So I, I don't see China playing like a big independent role in trying to get a deal because historically they have not done that. Um, and when it comes to diplomacy, they want the United States to, handle all the costs and the difficulties of negotiating with North Korea, in no small part because the Chinese know how difficult it is to negotiate with North Korea.
1: I mean, I think the Chinese are pretty content with the status quo right now. I think to your point, they don't want to see fire and fury or missile launches. They also don't really want to see a comprehensive deal between the United States and North Korea. That's also their nightmare. And they don't, want to, their their do, and they don't <laughs> want
0: to see us doing military exercises.
1: Right. So right now, they are the Chinese are winning pretty much all around, except, I would say, on the sanctions piece um, but again, to Victor's point, they do cheat. The
2: Chinese always say no war, no instability, no nukes, and in that order, right? So again, um, when they have chaos, then they, they will step in. But so I agree with that. Do so they have yeah. t
3: shirts like that in Japan? In China? <laughs> 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 Sounds like a t shirt. No, well, they did. When we were doing six party talks, I mean, so the six party talks were um, so six countries the United States, the two Koreas, Japan, China, and Russia. Uh, they were the first multilateral hard security negotiation in Northeast Asia, and they were hosted by China. And, you know, and I remember the Chinese really liked it, I mean, because they were the hosts and everything. And then after a few rounds, they started really getting excited. So we'd show up and they would they would have um, six-party pencils, six-party talk pencils, uh-huh. six-party talks brochures, and even six-party talks fans. And, well,
0: that, that That's a collector's uh, item. That's a
3: collector's item. I have them in my office. You can come and see them during office hours. And that, <laughs> But of course, the Americans were all like, where's the T-shirt? Right, right. right. <laughs> so of course,
0: of course. It's, it's, it doesn't exist if, if you, you don't, don't have, have a, a T-shirt, t-shirt. Right, right. right? So, all right, back to the last summit, if we can just touch on that for mm-hmm. one more minute. Secretary Pompeo said last week on CBS that he's confident that there will be a third summit. Uh, Primarily because he said we came out of Hanoi with a deeper understanding of each other. I still don't really know what that understanding was other than there's no missile tests. Is is there a deeper understanding that you guys have detected?
2: I detected that North Korea really doesn't like sanctions Um, because we were ready again. You know, we were hung up on peace declaration. We were ready to give that we uh, were ready to open a liaison office. There was some sort of a deal to be had there. and But they came in full force with sanctions. Like they're saying, they, that's what they asked for, sanctions relief, right? So I think that does answer that question. We do now know what their number one priority is. I mean, there's a lot of debate between sanctions advocate and those who are against sanctions. Uh, but I think that does say that it is playing a role uh, and North Koreans care about it. Uh, now, again, I don't. What I don't understand, I really, I tried to think about this in the aftermath of a Hanoi summit. Why did Kim Jong Un come in here and think that he could get all of this kind of sanctions relief that he was asking for? Because. That was stated to the the regime before. I mean, even Trump himself said, you know, sanctions relief is not going to come. The only way that we were, uh, I think the only thing we were prepared to do was let South Korea go to maybe United Nations, get the exemption they needed to reopen Kaesong and do some of the inter-Korea projects, but not that we were ready to give sanctions relief. So I don't understand why Kim Jong-un came and thought that there was, he had no Backup option. There's no plan B and just demanded this. I think part of the reason, honestly, is because maybe, you know, the, well, you know he was listening to pundits like us, um, you know, MSNBC, CNN talking about how Trump was going to give, you know, make a bad deal. He's so, we want to desperately get a Nobel Peace Prize and he, he has all these domestic problems. <laughs> no, I just think that played a role where they thought, you know, Kim Jong un he could just sit in front of Trump and Trump would just give all this away. And Trump himself, also, President, uh, played a role because he was like saying, Oh, now I'm in love with Kim Jong-un over the most beautiful love letters I've ever exchanged and so on, praising Kim. So I think that really just made Kim misjudge the situation completely. Um, or Kim could have really thought, We're gonna I'm gonna ask for this maximum sanctions relief, and then we'll just negotiate it down and I walk away with something. Except President Trump was it's not also in that Patience mode to negotiate because remember that timing was also it was a coin testimony that whole day before the summit and so on. But again, my takeaway is sanctions matter. Um, North Koreans care about it, and and you know going back to fall of 2017 with this maximum pressure, I think if we just continue, I didn't like the fire and fury. I really didn't like the rhetoric, the whole preventive war talk. But if we just continued a little bit longer, then. Just rushing back, just just rushing to have a summit unprepared.
1: I agree. I mean, I think there should be a rule against summits between now and the end of the administration. However, I think that it's probably likely there will be one. We're averaging what two every ten months, um, so I suspect that's probably an open uh, uh, case. Um, I do think that Hanoi was clarifying in the sense that I agree with Sue. The North Koreans made very clear that they want sanctions relief that that is their primary objective. That's useful. The United States made clear that we're not willing to, you know, accept a, you know, a horse for the third time being sold to us uh, or a half loaf. So I think that there is some value to the fact that Hanoi was such a failure um, because I do think it clarified some of the red lines and expectations between the two sides.
3: Yeah, and I think especially that the two leaders, so I, because both sides, both sides came in thinking that they could basically, I mean, basically roll the other guy, right? I mean, Kim think, came in thinking Trump, you know, th- their meeting was the same day of the Cohen hearing, right? So they thought this guy's under pressure, he needs a win, and then Trump probably came in thinking like, if I can promise this guy a casino, you know, he'll he'll cave. And I think it was important that they both see each other, and they realize that what their working-level people were saying to each other about your position is not going to work in front of our leader. When they actually, the two leaders actually met, and they realized that, wow, this is really not going to happen. Maybe it was a clarifying moment. So the best-case scenario coming out of this is that it was a clarifying. It was like a Reykjavik moment, a clarifying moment, and then they'll come back and they'll be like, okay. We will agree on the end goals, right? Remove all the sanctions, remove all the weapons, and we will agree on a first step going forward. That would be a great outcome. The bad outcome would be, you know, both Kim and Trump walk away realizing, I'm not going to get this guy to do what I want, right? And both of these guys are used to getting their way. They're not used to compromising. And then the, the bad case scenario is where they're like, all right, I'm really done here, right? I'm just done. And I'll talk about nice stuff and everything, but I'm really done. And so, you know, we right now we don't know which of these is the truth. So.
2: I think there is a scenario in which Kim might say, I'm just going to wait this out, right? Um, so you don't go into to, to provocation in terms of missile tests, return to missile tests or nuclear tests, because that's such a, in you know, in-your-face kind of move for Trump. And as long as President Trump, he doesn't see this testing, he can still say this is— this is better than before. So I think there's a scenario, the in between solution where they just kind of sit this one out, right? You just kind of wait it out. Just another strategic years. patience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> North Koreans sort of say, Don't go don't return to test, but continually work on their missile and nuclear program. Uh, and, and then see what happens, because if President Trump gets reelected, maybe then they can come back and there's a deal to be had then. Or just watch what's happening on the Democratic side. Um, you've been hearing some things like Bernie Sanders, you know, uh, sort of saying, you know, peace agreement is a good thing. I mean, so I think if I'm Kim Jong-un, there is that potential for like, just hang, hang tight because, you know, you, maybe if he because he realized he's not going to get that big deal out of Trump.
3: There's no agreement to have a summit soon, a third summit soon. And again, it's hard to imagine because they would not want it to be a failure this time. They would want like some big principles and then some first step. <clears throat> then if we get to the summer, why is Kim going to have a summit? Because he's going to want to wait to see what happens in the election. I mean, historically the North Koreans have always gone quiet the year, you know, the year we're in, ele- in an election because they're not they're going to wait to see Who's gonna Who's gonna win? And in the meantime, they're just gonna keep making more stuff, right? More weapons, like um, so. It you know so the it, it's really a question of whose side time is on. The longer we wait,
0: I think that they both know that if they can exchange a few more beautiful letters, they're gonna have enough for a coffee table book,
3: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> coffee table book, beautiful letters, Trump, Kim. No, but a ser-
2: giant-sized coffee table. A giant
0: size yeah. <laughs>
3: Translated <laughs> in twelve different languages.
0: Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So, but but no. But seriously, let's talk about what are the key gaps in the negotiations. What are what are some of the key gaps between us and them that we could be constructive on between now and um, whenever they're going to shut it down or whenever we're going to shut it down.
3: The first key gap is on sanctions relief. Right. They want. They essentially want. Um, the five UN Security Council sanctions that were put into place in 2016, 2017, right? So when Kelly was in the government and then in, into, the, into the Trump administration, that are UN Security Council sanctions that target 90% of North Korea's trade, external trade. So it's not just proliferation financing. It's like everything, right? Um and you know, and Trump doesn't want to give that up. I mean the other the other big gap is how you define denuclearization. Right. The North Koreans basically want to put forward um the Young facility, which is the old plutonium-based facility, whereas um their program has advanced uh far beyond that with newer and more modern forms of nuclear weapons, fissile material and nuclear weapons production. That we know they have, but they won't admit they have. Right. Um, th- so those are the two. Those are the two really big gaps. And then um, the ground that needs to be covered is what's the first step that addresses both of those needs that each side can claim is, a, is 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 different from what has been done in the past. And that's probably more of a problem for the United States than it is for the North Koreans because we really do have a history here of failed agreements. All of us have participated in failed agreements Um, and um, you you, you can't be considered a veteran, veteran of government service unless you participate in a failed North Korean nuclear agreement. So there's much more pressure on the U.S. side to sort of have whatever comes out of this look different from what was in the past.
0: So students, do you see what you have in your futures? You will one day, too, be part of a failed nuclear agreement with North Korea.
1: <laughs> Guaranteed. <Yeah. laughs> the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Right. Sue and Kelly, what do, what do you see as some of the...
2: No, I mean I, I I agree with Victor. I mean there's gap everywhere. There's starting with number one definition on denuclearization. We still, we have still don't have an right? agreement on the right. definition on denuclearization. Right. North Korea is still we're talking about North Korea's program. North Korea is still talking about South Korea. U.S. extended nuclear umbrella. We have over South Korea and Japan. I mean we don't even have a basic agreement on that. We don't have an agreement on timeline and sequencing. What comes first, right? Um And President Trump rightfully, I think, walked away from this demand that North Koreans were making in Hanoi because if you give all those sanctions relief, which is essentially the whole shebang, for one nuclear facility, we have no more leverage for all these other facilities, right? So that doesn't make sense. Uh, And I think, just most fundamentally, I I hate to end on a gloomy note, but North Koreans does not want to give up their nuclear program. I mean, can I just restate the basic facts? Um, But that's that, that's at the core. But I do agree. It's, it's definition, sequencing, um, timeline, verification. I mean, there's Where is not... I mean,
1: there are gaps everywhere. Yeah. Right? I think the most fundamental gap is what Victor was talking about, which is trust. I, I think there's so much history between the two sides on negotiations. That's the biggest issue. Um, I think you know on denuclearization... I agree it's important to have a basic agreement about what we're actually negotiating towards. At the same time, I will say that there can be constructive ambiguity about that, which is useful in a negotiations context.
3: I don't think we've addressed it, but it's worth mentioning having to do with sanctions. The first is, so we've talked about over the past weeks about different literature on whether sanctions work or not, the effectiveness of sanctions. Um, This was a case um, that where you had the leader of the country at the table and he could have asked the US president for anything that he wanted. He could have asked for a peace treaty ending the Korean War, he could have asked for diplomatic recognition and normal political relations between the United States and North Korea, a US embassy in Pyongyang and you know a variety of different things. He asked for one thing and that was removal of these five UN Security Council sanctions. So that is you know, that is pretty clear evidence that sanctions are working, right? If that's the one thing, that's the one thing that they wanted. And that also, to me was also a very, in a way, it was a very sad thing to hear because there were always there was always this thesis out there, you know, it goes to Sue's point about, you know, they'll never give up their weapons. There was always this counter thesis out there, if you will, to us. policy that said, you know, maybe they're just a small, insecure, poor country. That pursues nuclear weapons for their own safety, and if you just gave them a security guarantee and normalized relations with them and ended the adversarial relationship, then they would give up those weapons, right? And so while the United States for decades was negotiating this issue, but refused to give a peace treaty or normalization till the end of the process, the critics would always say, you need to front load that. You need to change the relationship because they're a poor, insecure country. And so we had this moment in Hanoi where the leader of North Korea sat with the U.S. president and could have asked for anything that he wanted. And so he could have said, I really want you to normalize relations. I want to end the Korean War. I don't want to worry about the U.S. threat. And then maybe we can move from there. And he didn't ask for that. He asked for take off these five sanctions and I will give you parts of my program that I don't need anymore. Right? That in many ways was a, was a very sad a sad outcome.
0: I want to end with a question from Kelly, who's a sophomore in the college and she asks a policy slash political question. Um, If there's one foreign policy issue other than terrorism that could really affect the 2020 election, it's probably North Korea. How do you all think that uh, North Korea could affect the 2020 election?
3: Um, I mean, a number of ways. I think the way that would resonate most with Americans would was would to be if they actually demonstrate did another demonstration that confirmed they had they could reach the United States with a nuclear weapon, uh, or or if they proliferated um, to a non-state actor or or um, or even a state actor. Um, uh, I you know these it would immediately become uh, national security political issues. I think.
2: I think in either extreme of provocation that Victor was just talking about, a nuke test or even ICBM test or, or some sort of proliferation, or a major breakthrough uh, would also help Trump a little bit um, because he can then claim victory on this. But I think more likely scenario is we're just going to kind of muddle through um, and it's not going to really impact one way or another.
1: I think Americans, as long as missiles aren't flying, they're pretty content right. with where things are.
0: Well, on that note, um, let's hope the missiles don't fly. Thank you all for hosting us here at Georgetown. Um, It's been great being with you all again. All right, thank you. Don't forget to subscribe to The Impossible State on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, um, and uh, thanks again. If you have a question for one of our experts about The Impossible State, email us at impossiblestate@csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean Peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there, too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is The Impossible State.